Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a... Weird homicide. Scene described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird morning. Cup of murder. Sometimes it takes a lot of work to connect seemingly unrelated crimes. On November 16, 1999, a man took his first victim in a crime spree that spanned multiple states and involved multiple jurisdictions. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. Leonard J. Young and Jesse Cochran met around Christmas of 1990, began dating, and in the early part of 1993, called it quits and went their separate ways. At least, that's what Jesse must have thought. But at approximately 9.15 p.m. on November 16, 1999, years after their separation, Jesse arrived at her home in Hardman County, Tennessee, and found a man inside. As she tried to make her way back to her car, she saw the stranger run out the back door. Calling out her name, she quickly realized that he was no stranger at all, but was actually her ex-boyfriend, Leonard Young, who was claiming he wasn't there to hurt her, but wanted to talk. She agreed, and as they walked back into the house, Jesse noticed a sawn-off shotgun hanging beside Leonard's leg. For the next 45 minutes, the pair chatted back and forth, at which time Leonard admitted to coming through the unlocked kitchen door that Jessie swore she secured before going to her exercise class that evening. Finally finished, Leonard stood up, thanked Jessie for all that she had done for him, asked her not to call the police, and walked out the door. It wasn't until after he had already left that Jessie Cochran realized her car keys were missing. She looked out the window just in time to see the taillights of her red Mercedes driving off of her property. After calling the local sheriff's department, she realized that her ex-boyfriend actually entered through a bedroom window, not the door that he claimed she forgot to lock. And worried that he might just come back, she left to go stay with her stepdaughter and did not come home until December 11th, 1999. When police got the call that her stolen car had been found in Ashland, Mississippi, about 23 miles from Jesse's home, they had no clue that Leonard Young had, the day before the break-in, started a crime spree that, at its conclusion, saw the loss of two human lives. According to the testimony of a resident from Oxford, Mississippi, on November 15, 1999, he heard his wife scream while he got ready for work. And when he ran outside to see what was going on, he saw Leonard Young trying to force the woman into a car. Running towards the situation, the man was met with a shotgun aimed straight at him and listened when Leonard ordered him to stop his approach. Claiming he wanted the man's wife to, quote, take him off, the husband told the gunman that he could take him instead. After his wife handed over the keys, he and Leonard drove, shotgun aimed at the man's head, to Pea Ridge Road. Leonard allegedly knew the man's mother-in-law, and on that drive, told him to tell her that he blew her house up and, quote, tell her I'm coming back 
and I'm going to take her down to Turner Road, and I'm going to blow her head off. Eventually, the car ran out of gas, and having no use for his captive any longer, Leonard left him behind and walked off to the nearby woods. When taking his story to the police, the man explained that not only did Leonard take the blame for his mother-in-law's house, which did indeed blow up in Water Valley, but he made an ominous threat to a man named William Bramlett. Needing to get to this man before Leonard did, officers were sent to locate William and told him about the threats to his life. Though they continued their search, William Bramlett was reported missing by his sister the following morning. On November 17, 1999, the day after Jesse Cochran's car was stolen, William's body was found inside his trailer with a gunshot wound to the back of his head. His pickup truck, which was nowhere to be found at the time, turned up in Hardman County, Tennessee, just three miles away from Jesse's home. With one kidnapping victim, one dead body, and three stolen cars, Police soon added a fourth when they learned that a 1989 Ford Bronco had been stolen out of a storage building, sat on a property that housed trucks, tractors, and several boats. Other than the man who owned the car and his father, no one should have been able to access the storage building. And in order to even get to it, someone would have had to jump the fence or iron gate and walk the half a mile or so to the building that was not even visible from the road. Regardless of the difficulty, it seemed like that was exactly what someone did sometime on or around November 18th. Inside the Bronco at the time was a 9mm pistol, a 22 caliber long rifle, and a 410 shotgun. When the owner noticed and went to search the building, he found a broken window and the gate pulled off its hinges. The Bronco was later found in Memphis, Tennessee, but the three firearms were nowhere to be found. Also in Memphis at this time was Leonard's young niece. Showing up at her doorstep, the niece, who had not seen her uncle in six years, listened as he asked if she had a car, despite the fact that he seemed to be driving a Bronco when he arrived. After responding that she did not, he asked if her father still lived in Texas and mentioned that he might like to go visit him. The pair chatted for the next 45 minutes before Leonard left at approximately 5 p.m. Just two hours later, Mississippi police walked onto that same doorstep and asked Denise to contact them if she ever saw her uncle again. She did exactly that two days later when Leonard showed back up and she refused to let him into her home. The stolen 1989 Ford Bronco was found by Memphis police on that same block on November 21st, 1999. The following day, Memphis police officer Kaya Tony Jones received a seemingly unrelated missing persons report for a woman named Hillary Johnson. Hillary, just 24 years old at the time, was a native of Chicago who, upon earning her teaching fellowship in the philosophy department at the University of Memphis in August of 1999, packed up and moved to Tennessee, and upon arrival, purchased a white Hyundai. Things seemed to be going really well until November 19, 1999, when Hillary's mother tried calling and calling and never got her daughter to answer the phone. This was around the time that a fellow graduate student planned to meet up with Hillary to discuss their grading methods and never heard from her. And later that day, Hillary's boyfriend called her mother to say that he too had been unable to contact her for the entire day. After contacting the police, Hillary's landlord, and searching for her themselves, the official missing persons report was filed and an officer was sent to her apartment to investigate. 
A missing persons broadcast was issued for Hillary Johnson. And finally, on November 29th, 1999, a Mississippi Highway Patrol officer located the white Hyundai in Tippa County just off an extremely rural road. Hidden a little deeper into the wooded area near where the car was found was a hunting cabin that seemed to be relatively abandoned. After searching Hillary's car, they decided to head over to that home and found opened cans of food, a women's jacket, and bed sheets that seemed to have blood stains on them. Though the stains would later turn out to be deer blood and paint, it was during that search that Lieutenant Rick Marlar learned all about Jesse Cochran and how she lived in an adjoining town just over the state line in Tennessee, about 15 miles away from where Hillary's car was found, if traveled by the road, and just two miles away, if traveled through the woods. Finding that this was too much to be a coincidence, Lieutenant Marlar received permission from both his superiors and the Hardman County Sheriff's Department to enter Tennessee and made the journey to Jesse Cochran's house on foot. As he did so, in the company of an officer from Hardman County, Lieutenant Marlar noticed a, quote, gentleman later identified as young sitting there watching TV. Lying nearby was a 9mm pistol. Pulling out his own weapon and aiming it at his target, Lieutenant Marlar watched as Leonard Young noticed him and made moves to grab the weapon. Telling him that he would shoot, Leonard slowly raised his hands and placed them behind his head. Though he refused to comply, the men forced Leonard down to the ground and, while arresting him, found a 22 caliber pistol and a fillet knife on his person. Taken back to the station, Leonard Young admitted that he entered Jesse Cochran's home which she had thankfully abandoned after his first visit, that he was the one who stole her Mercedes, and that he had been evading police ever since. He said that during his time on the run, he came upon the storage building in the woods and found the Bronco. Taking that as well, he claimed he traveled to Texas, stopped to see his sister and niece in Memphis along the way, and upon his return, abandoned the Bronco near his niece's home. He said it was then that his niece told him that the police were looking for him, and taking off, he ran into a woman sitting at the stop sign driving a white Hyundai. Jumping into Hillary Johnson's car, he drove onto the highway and said he, quote, put her out between the last subdivision and the store. Taking her credit cards before leaving, Leonard then said that he drove through Alabama to Florida and then back to Alabama and straight to Jesse's home four days later. After signing a waiver of rights form and being informed of his pending charges from Mississippi, Leonard was taken to a cell where, a little while later, he was approached by the Memphis police who wanted to question him about Hillary Johnson's disappearance. Admitting to stealing her car but still claiming that he left her unharmed, when the officers asked him what they should tell Hillary's family, he responded, Tell them I'm not the one that hurt her. Well, if she's hurt. On December 3rd, 1999, special agents from the FBI in Memphis came to the jail after learning that Leonard's crimes, of which there were many, crossed a few state lines, and that Hillary's credit cards were used in Alabama, Georgia, and Florida. After heading to his cell and watching television together, the agents decided to eat a meal with Leonard before pulling out some photos of Hillary and laying them on the table in front of him. Unmoved, Leonard returned to his cell, but shortly thereafter, he came back to the table, tapped the agent on the chest, and said, Basically, I'm fixing to give you something. 
asked for a pen, took the envelope holding the photos, and drew a map that he said would lead them to what they were looking for. Relaying the information to the local law enforcement, officers went searching but came up empty-handed. Placing Leonard in a patrol car, he then directed them in circles for a bit before finally leading them to Hillary Johnson's body. Interviewed for a second time on December 4th, 1999, Leonard admitted to killing Hillary, though he claimed he was unable to remember how exactly the death occurred, but did say that at some point, she pulled a knife out from behind the seat and he had to disarm her. During the struggle, he said she, quote, got cut. He then said that he dragged her 20 yards away, during which time she was still alive and moving, and placed her under a piece of tin. He then got back into her car and sped away. When sent in for an autopsy, officials determined that Hillary had bruises on the right side of her body, some on her left jaw and chin area, and another on the back of her thigh, and indications of a stab wound in the clothing as well as a blade found still in her chest cavity when x-rayed. The wound caused blood to pool in her chest cavity and compress her left lung and organs over to the right side of her body ultimately causing her death. After piecing together the days of Leonard Young's crime spree, he was charged with the murder of both William Bramlett and Hillary Johnson. In 2001, he was convicted of manslaughter for William's case, and on November 8, 2002, after being found guilty of Hillary's murder, he was sentenced to death. The sentence, however, was later vacated because his defense lawyers were found to be ineffective in the sentencing phase of his trial. And when resentenced, the then 74-year-old was given life without the chance of parole. He remains in prison. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to A Terrible Thing Happened on November 17th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. If you want to help support the podcast, there is always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe.